Hey everyone, I'm Coach Tony. Welcome to Coach Tony's Table, where the madness always meets the method. We have special guest, Jody Mercedes. Let's get into it. Coach Tony here. Welcome back to the Writing on the Board podcast. A few housekeeping things that we'll go through first. Merch is still available at www.thewritingontheboard.com forward slash merch. And if you ever want to submit anything anonymously, of course, to the podcast, still go to www.thewritingontheboard.com. This time forward slash submit. Um, if you want to not be anonymous, just send an email in the contact page. But I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Now let's get right into it with our special guest. We are accompanied by today, Jaddy Mercedes. And as with all guests, I'm going to let her introduce herself. So tell us all what you're up to, who you are, and where we can find you. Hey, Coach Tony. I'm so excited uh, to connect with you today. Uh, a few things about me. You know, first, I always say the things that do not define me in terms of work. I'm a mom. I'm in, um, you know, I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. Um, I consider myself a humanitarian first, a racial equity warrior. Uh, as far as my profession, I work currently in my position as an educational administrator where I support schools across districts and really rethinking uh, pedagogical and instructional approaches to instruction. Um, and also I do some consultant work. Um, I do some coach work around leadership development. Um, and just like all the things, you know, liberation plan is on the way. <laughs> I hear that. If anyone was looking to find you, follow you, where should they go? Oh, cool. So Instagram at Jotty.Mercedes. Um, I just joined Twitter, y'all. So I'm about to be tweet, tweet. Okay. That's Me at too, Jotty actually. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, we're going to get into some things. Um, that's at Jotty Bell, uh, Y-A-R-I-B-E-L. Mercedes, M-E-R-C-E-D-E-S. So you can find me at either platform. And also my uh, email is jotty.m.mercedes uh, at gmail.com. For those of you that are looking for, you know, leadership development coaching or consultant work around liberatory pedagogical practices, you can reach out to me in those ways. Okay. And spell jotty for the audience so they know. Y-A-R-I. Okay, good. Because, you know, you know, why? I'm Dominican, so the why is a day, you know. <laughs> you have the, the boat yacht. People will be like, right, I can't find right. you. Um, okay, so if you are new to this podcast, welcome. How we do things here is I like to amplify the voice of other educators. I am an educator myself, I am a mathematics educator. However, the thing that I want to highlight is that we are all going through things and that has led to where we are today, where teachers are leaving in droves. We do not have anybody to fill all these positions, etc. So I highlight 
anonymously the submissions of other teachers or other educators or other people in the education space who feel like they want to get their piece off about what's going on and why they're frustrated. And so either I discuss it by myself or I bring (laughs) a guest on and they discuss it with me. And Yari has decided to not hear the submission before today. So she'll be giving her raw, uncut opinion of what she heard. How we do. <laughs> How we do. We got to do raw and cut. You know, that's, you can't that's... be, you know, out here having a plan sometimes when there's no plan and the world is on fire. You know, you got to be able to come with the wit. That's it. So <laughs> this person... um This person actually didn't submit to my website. So I have a website that I mentioned in the opening. I actually had went into a group of anonymous teachers and I was like, hey, y'all, I'm starting this podcast. What frustrates you? And I got like so many comments. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm sure enough to write a dissertation. (laughs) uh, Probably, maybe two. Um, (laughs) This person... Right. Schools have shifted from being a hub for educating youth to now being a catch-all for lack of all things parenting, feeding, clothing, daycare, mental health, social skills, responsibility, etc. So. That part. (laughs) I'm like, okay, is this to agree, disagree? Like, I mean, um, I, I think I think that's such an important point, right? Like, and this is the reason why we see um, the ways in which capitalism and racism and what COVID nineteen has exacerbated about education, right? And the reason why even in person has been such a push, right? We had a whole pandemic to really reimagine what school scheduling could look like, what school instruction and pedagogy could look like, not even going in person every day, right? But what we realized with the pandemic, what it it exposed to a lot of us, right? Because some people had, I don't know what it is, blinders on, um, a level of disconsciousness is that schools are hubs for everything, right? Like now you have people Um, in particular states that can go in while having COVID, but don't have systems and have to keep their mask. And, you know, you see all these memes about the CDC, like, you know, (laughs) that we're just out here trying to figure it out on our own. But that's the way that, you know, for someone that was in a classroom for 10 years, I knew that even, I always consider myself a teacher first, but I even knew that during my time, you know, in the classroom where I was responsible you know, for many things. I was responsible to wear many hats. And what this pandemic has really shown is what a system does to teachers and educators and leaders because the machine must keep going, right? Capitalism must keep going, right? And also to understand that inequity is happening, right? We do realize that Uh, students get fed in schools. We do realize that there are supports for families in schools. We do realize that, you know, school systems or particular schools are really uh, structures that can be of supports, not all, um, but can be of supports to students, families, and communities. And once um, you don't have those same structures or those same systems, then it's a big like, what are we going to do now? 
right? Because in particular communities, some communities are well, some communities were able to pod, uh, some communities were able to stay home. You know, some communities uh, were very privileged during this time of pandemic, but the, the communities that historically have been marginalized and minoritized, we know that they have been affected disproportionately, not just with COVID, but also now the furthering of the inequities that we see present. Yeah. So that part to so that <laughs> educator, um, which is, you know, why I take this work of even like when I support schools um, to be very intentional and very purposeful about not doing things to folks and doing things with folks on their time, asking a lot of questions, you know, really having them lead the work and what their needs are and what, um, you know, what, what the partnership can look like. Because schools are, you know, the end and, and, and be all for all the things. So if the schools right now, I don't, I don't think it's a question about schools being end all be all entities, um, especially in underserved communities. Right. How do we take that burden off of teachers or off of this the entity of school as an education, like where is that even the question? Like school as an education, that is weird. How do we take, <laughs> I, I told, look, I told Yadi before we started filming that <laughs> today I just have lint in it's my mouth. Good. Okay. So I think the question I'm trying to ask is like, where do we go or what do we do to take the strain off of the school building as providing all of these things for underprivileged communities or underserved, I should say, underserved communities? Because at this point, it looks like, at least to me, that we are trying to, and by we, they are trying to keep the school doors open because of the fact that there's nothing else to serve our students, to serve their families besides school. So what what would you think would be a solution to finding somewhere else or something else to help out the community besides just school? So I think that for me, you know, and it's multiple solutions because it's multiple problems and it's systemic, right? So when I think about solution, I think about systemic solutions that need to happen for particular um, disenfranchised communities, for particular communities that, as you say, are underserved. Like, how are we going to get access into communities for wellness? How are we going to get um, and wellness in all ways, right? Like nutrition, mental health, you know, community centers so that the pressures are not just put on teachers, on instruction, on school in a brick and mortar setting, right? Like, mm. um, and we know that schools were really mirrored in a factory model and have not changed since its inception, right? So, you know, with, with the pandemic, I think we had a great opportunity to sort of like reimagine things but because the system works in a particular way and it's designed in a particular way, particularly um, for for Black, uh, Latinx, Indigenous, and racialized uh, uh, students of color, families, and communities, um, I think it's a systemic solution that needs to happen about ac- 
access, about equity, about equality, right? That's why we were able to see, you know, disproportionately how some communities thrived, right? That were potting, you know, that were able to stay home, that had access to all the technology, that had access to, you know, wellness, resources, and some communities did not. And I think when I think about solutions, I think about how do we create uh, or provide access to those communities and wellness centers and and places where it doesn't have to just be the burden on schools, which then trickles down on school leaders, trickles down on teachers. And, you know, we see the effect on students because of what's happening um, to teachers and leaders, you know, within within their schools. I I really feel like. At this point, it seems so far gone. In terms, like we are at a place where the education system just needs to like be rebuilt. And I, I would love to reach, um, reach out to anybody who may be listening who was able to transition to virtual successfully. Like, send me mm. a comment or come on. Because I really would love to compare what that looked like. What was that transition like for someone? And I, I did mention this on a previous podcast where I had someone that I used to tutor where they just received an uh, email that was like, hey... See you on Monday on your school issued MacBook. We'll send you an email. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so seamless. Um, Well, I can tell you as a parent, like there's, you know, I'm also sitting at a place of privilege, right? And access based on my own, you know, economic status and, you know, where I place as someone, you know, in the middle class where I had access to technology already. You know, my kids had devices already. Um, We didn't have problems with internet. You know, my daughter had an iPad. My son, you know, had a desktop. I had a laptop. As you can see, you know, my husband has a desktop down here. I live in a home. There's multiple floors. You know, so when I was working from home, I also had the privilege of not being an essential worker, right? Because I was able to work from home. I was able to do professional learning and transition from home. You know, my my both my kids have their own room. So they were able to do things, you know, um, in their room respectively, you know, because my daughter was in kindergarten at the time, but that provided some challenges. But I sit in a place of privilege where I know that the community where I grew up, right? If I think about my elementary school and if, if that would have, if I would have lived through a pandemic when I was the age of an elementary school student, I know I wouldn't have had that access, right? We all were in my grandmother's house. There was only but three rooms for like a bunch of us, right? We did not all have devices. We did not have internet access. So, For me, there was some level of success or my kids were able to thrive or transition well because the accessibility there allowed it to be, right? Whereas in underserved communities where you could not even get um, all students in the home a device, that provides a great challenge. And then you hear policymakers talk about learning loss when such great learning happened and parents had to adapt. 
students had to adapt, um, facing, you know, loss and, and grieving and all of these things that they were resilient to. Um, and, you know, we, we often talk about, cause I'm complicit also within the system. I always, like you say, we, um, we begin to label things and, and, and say things and, and put blame on things when we don't talk about the systemic and institutional problem, right? Then we say teachers aren't, students aren't, parents aren't, and not this system is inadequate. This system is not really doing what it needs to so that all students, so that all families are able to have, you know, the level of access that someone like me, you know, at a place of privilege was able to. Can you know, I think... The last thing you said and the first thing you said kind of jolted something for me because there were schools where it didn't matter what was in the home. They sent home what was needed, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember when I, when the pandemic first started, the school I was in, the first thing we were supposed to do was send home a survey to see what was available to the students, huge difference, right? It's not like no matter what's available, here is the same thing for everybody. It's like, oh, you already have a computer? Great. You don't need one. But did I tell you whether it works or not? Did I tell you um, if it's good? Did I tell you if there's six other people in my house? You know, and obviously we had to figure that out because if... The person and it's said this no. Assumption, right. It's assumptions too, like the digital divide, like linguistic diversity, like not everyone speaks one particular language. Now you have parents, now you have families, now you have, you know, caretakers that are part of the village that are trying to do this work, right? Like accessibility in so many different ways, right? Like teachers and their various levels of proficiency, right? With remote instruction and even transitioning. There was not that, well, let me not say much grace. There was not grace uh, (laughs) for educators to be like, okay, now you got to start a Google classroom and you just got to be awesome. I think I mentioned that, was it two weeks? I think two weeks ago I mentioned, because there... I've been in three schools since the pandemic started. And between the second and third one, the third one recruited me and I left because I wanted the better pay. However, to get me to not leave, they offered me the position of tech guru because so many of the older teachers were struggling to transition. Like we had PDs and it was like... I was um, struggling. (laughs) And I'm over here. I think, you know, I'm hot fire. You know, I'm on technology and stuff. And I was struggling, you know, like I was struggling to figure out like professional learning now in in a virtual setting. Like I'm very big about connecting with the people that, you know, I'm in a collaborative partnership, not being, you know, in physical space together, right? Like this idea about like breakout rooms or sometimes, you know, even with my kids here at home, the internet sometimes would be janky and like trying to figure out and then you have a particular level of energy or just like transitioning, you know, a a mode of learning, a way of learning, right? Because the way that we made sense about what schooling was, it was always in a classroom setting, not really, you know, really taking into account that education is everywhere, right? Um, And especially with 
technology. And you also saw that too, how there there was a, a, a big divide of, of, of particular school districts and and um, systems that were already so advanced with their technology, right? So even with that and the professional development support, I mean, it, it was just so much, but the system often wants time, you know, wants to blame something, someone, you know, something for the inadequacies of the structure of I the foundation. I think that's that's it right there. Like if the goal is a free and adequate education for all, we have Someone. to look at the system in terms of if it works for all, right? We know Period. the history or we should know the history of this country and how it's built. And if we're really looking for a system that works, we need to start all over again because I think this is where we're falling into a problem now. School for underserved communities is so much more than just a schoolhouse that now that we have students in real need due to this pandemic, there are teachers that are posting that they are conflicted between addressing their students in one way versus addressing their students education-wise and how 40 minutes is not enough to do both, <laughs> right? right? 40 minutes is not enough to provide services for students who come to class upset because of a loved one lost or they had to self-regulate during virtual because they didn't have anyone at home with them. So much of that so is going things. to go unattended to. And we're trying to get back to quote unquote normal, which I hate that word because it wasn't normal before. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it wasn't normal before, but I think this is something where the, every podcast that I do or every episode, I should say, I try to find something that any educator or teacher specifically can advocate for when they are interviewing their principal or in a place of bargaining power. I think now that we are losing our teacher force, there are whole entire universities that are dropping their teacher programs because only two people signed up. Um, mm. We're in a place now where they need us, right? So even if you are okay or your students are okay or this is not necessarily where you fall education-wise. If you ever have any bargaining power because you are needed, as most of us are and will be, right? Um, ask about what it looks like to provide for students. Ask about what it looks like to understand the inequity surrounding students with regards to the systems, Right? Ask about what your school is doing to provide for or to look out for other schools in the community if your school happens to be rooted from a place of privilege, right? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the Come day, on. teachers all go through some of the same things, whether we're in private, public, like the system in itself is just like broken. But there are people and buildings and setups that are way more beneficial due to the systemic rise from years and years and years of being poured into, right? So what's the give back policy look like when you 
actually realize that your the system has benefited you and probably doesn't mm-hmm. benefit the person down the street across a divide as well, right? What's that look like? How do we support our future? Because I'm tired of it only being when so-and-so blows up and it's like, oh, they had it so hard in life, but they made it, right? We, yeah, no. The awards, <laughs> the ceremonies, the Grammys, the Oscars, whatever, we love to highlight when they come from poverty, right? And it's like someone gave them a chance or something well, the- lined up for them. You know, Mm -hmm. so what are we doing to make sure something lines up for more? Right. Why are we just praising the one versus saying this is indicative of the fact that there is so much to be unearthed from every student? What does that look like to support every student, even if they're not in your building? Yeah, I mean, to that point, I think, you know, even systemically, like this system is, um, you know, anchored on individualism and hierarchy and all of these different structures, right? Is why we track students, is why we grade students, is why there are systems of gifted and talented. It's why there is, you know, uh, top tier colleges. It's why like all of these systems, right, that sort of frame the narrative of individualism, of getting ahead, of in spite of, of despite of, right? And this idea of exceptionalism, especially uh, for Black folks, right? Because then they'll say, well, if Oprah did it, (laughs) if Obama became president, (laughs) but you you see, I think- They they love to know, you know, to come to the one or two, right? (laughs) Um, Because people don't want to talk about the, what the expectations are for the collective, right? what the expectations are for the system, right? Mm -hmm. That numbers have not changed where disproportionately we see who the system is benefiting and disproportionately we see who the system is affecting, right? We have all of these things. We have standardized education. We have standardized tests. We have all of these structures, right? That continue to, you know, anchor to what you're saying, like this idea of what are we doing in partnerships or collaborative partnerships with schools or even being community schools where we can share resources and not hoard resources. But until we understand that, until we have an understanding of that, I think, you know, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time and we got to continue to tell the truth about it. We got to continue you know, to talk about even what we're talking about now about ways in which we can rethink or 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 think about what this would look like systemically. But so many folks have been like researching about this, talking about this for decades, for decades, for decades, for decades. But, you know, the system is working the way it's intended. So those in a privileged position do not want to let go of that privilege. And it's very hard to say, okay, you got to share because then that means you have to give up something. And are you willing to give up something? Yeah, that's, I think that's the, <laughs> my mic was muted for like a hot second. Oh, no, I think <laughs> the, um, I think that's the 
part where we're going to have to give to take. I think just like how there is a huge racial divide that kind of dissipates once you have a certain level of money, right? I think there is a huge systemic privilege divide that now should dissipate because we are all teachers that are struggling. <laughs> um, but you know what? You know what's crazy with that? Even with socioeconomic status and shout out to Glenn Singleton, who writes about this and courageous conversations about race, mm -hmm. that even the top tier at the highest um, at the highest socioeconomic status, right? Black, white, Asian, um, Latinx. Disproportionately, Black students underperform their other counterparts. Of course. Regardless. Yeah. Regardless whether you are at the lowest socioeconomic status, whether you are at the highest um, socioeconomic uh, status. So there's a level of access, right, to things. But even within the system, students are not, and when I say this, performing, right, because we have a system of standardization. Mm -hmm. And y'all, that could be another <laughs> podcast. It sure but, could. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but, I mean, you're uh, right. According to that system, you know, that it's, they're still not performing to the level of their the the other counterparts and why is that and we need to to talk about the, the 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 permanence of racism within these structures and why that is and why the system works the way that it's intended even when you know someone like me is at a middle class socioeconomic status i have to be super vigilant about even how my students you know how my uh, children are performing in school? What's the instruction like? What, you know, what they've had to um, deal with in a predominantly white school, right? So all, all of these things, just like all of these um, thoughts are coming into my head, especially as you say that, because I think there is a level of access with money, mm -hmm. but structurally and systemically, still, we see that data shows us yeah. that racism is just going to do what racism does. I mean, it's, it's an issue. I mean, I also went to a majority white school. It was white and Asian. Um, and so I completely understand. And I think the conversation is definitely not over. I mean, we definitely <laughs> have way more podcasts to record. I mean. It's, it's a hot mess. But here's what I'll say. One, thank you, Jody, for joining me and, and encouraging this, this conversation. Um, those of you who are listening... Understand that not every podcast is going to come with us or stop saying podcast. Not every episode is going to come with a solution, right? Sometimes it's just going to open the door to another conversation and it's, we need to have the conversations first. Sometimes yeah. some districts, some schools are tiptoeing around this conversation. So I implore everyone who's listening to just take what you've heard here and find a way to start this conversation in your yeah. pocket, in your area. I always say uh -huh. I don't have, like, I'm of the mindset where we've been conditioned to always be quick with solutions and quick with answers. And I'm of the mindset, right, like, that we need to have more questions, that we right. need to dig deeper. And I think that to your point, that's where we, like, I always have more questions than I have answers mm -hmm. because I think that that's the way that we'll get in terms of the collective, like the, the collective work that needs to be done. If we keep asking those questions, if we keep raising the issues, if we come with 
um, solutions, right, through those questions in community, not necessarily I'm saying, well, this is the solution, right? Systemic problems didn't just start last year. Like this has been centuries of this. So, you know, we need to, I always take an inquiry approach and a questions approach to thinking about how we can, you know, rethink the state where we are in education. Perfect. Okay. So (laughs) no, that was perfect. Here is the last part. Every episode since the last episode that I just aired, um, I've been asking a question. It's very random, but I'd want to know your answer. I do not have an internal monologue. Do you know what I mean by internal monologue? Like your self-talk? I don't know if it's called self-talk, but let's, I'll explain it. So if I'm not speaking, but I'm thinking, I can hear my, well, I can't, but many people can hear themselves talking in their head. Can you? Ooh, that was I don't a, know if hear, oh, I don't know if I that's can a hear, no. but. Okay, so those of you who are listening, you you can't see her face, but if you go to my Yuzu channel <laughs> at the writing on the board, right? Um, you'll see her face, and her face is exactly what my face was when someone when I found out about this. So this, that's a no. Um, okay. which is the first person? Yay! Okay, there are people out there when they don't speak and they're thinking, they can hear themselves speak, and I cannot. And I thought about that in terms of, wow, this is huge implications for testing for milestones as children and Mm. maybe what, because when I read for understanding, right, if something's difficult for me or first time engaging with something, I have to read out loud because I don't hear myself. Do you too? Right. So even when I write papers, I'm like, babe, you want me to read you? I wrote some fire stuff. (laughs) Let me go ahead and do this read aloud. And that's, I think that's something that I want. I'm going to, every time I have a guest, I'm going to ask that question because I, I really want to start to think about we're standardizing so many things, but that's so different. Some people can't hear themselves think if it's too loud and some people don't mind because they don't need to hear themselves speak. So I've got one for one, okay? Um, <laughs> Art Avenia can hear himself and Jody Mercedes cannot. So okay. with that being said, I'm going to dedicate this podcast to my brother. Um, all podcasts, all future podcasts, all past podcasts will be dedicated to him. He recently lost his legs. I am his guardian now and his determination has motivated me to go after my dreams so to end every podcast i do this for him thank you once again jaddy mercedes for joining me you have to do it again thank you, Coach Tony. <laughs> yes we do we gotta get into <laughs> but that's the end of this episode and i will catch you on the next one bye y'all bye <laughs> Nine ones, nine, nine twos, eighteen, nine threes, twenty seven, nine fours, thirty six, nine fives, forty five, nine six, fifty four, nine seven, sixty three, nine eight, seven two, nine nines, eighty one, nine tens, nine eight, nine elevens, ninety nine, nine twelves, one oh eight, one oh eight, one oh eight, no breaks, no breaks, concentrate.